Good morning, Church. The Lord be with you. By now, all of us would have come to terms with restrictions on our daily lives. The COVID-19 has taught us many lessons. One lesson is this. The virus infects all people. However, social economic status has a bearing on their health outcome. The poor are more likely to be exposed to the virus because they don't have the luxury of space to practice social distancing. The rich, on the other hand, can hunker down in their houses, holiday homes, or even in their luxury yachts to ride out the pandemic. Furthermore, when the poor do get the virus, they have higher death rates than the rich because the poor have weaker baseline health to start with. This, I, this does not seem fair, does it? Life is really difficult for the poor, while the rich has it better, even in a pandemic. How should Christians think about the economic disparity in our society? And how should we respond to this issue within the church? Since New Testament time, there has always been the rich and the poor in the church. And the economic inequality is a potential for tension and division. To address the tension, some churches preach the prosperity gospel, telling their members that if they have enough faith, God will bless them with wealth. But the prosperity gospel is false, and it is evil because it promotes greed and idolatry under the guise of God's blessings. The right way to approach the tension between the rich and the poor in the church is not to falsely promise wealth by faith, but to think in godly ways about wealth. How should Christians think rightly about wealth? This is where James will help us yet again. So please turn with me to the letter of James, chapter 4, where we finished at verse 12 last Sunday. For today, we will begin with verse 13 and continue through to chapter 5, verse 6. Let me read. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one 
who was not opposing you. <clears throat> now, James is addressing two groups of people in the church in his time. The first are the rich Christians. The second are the poorer Christians who have been oppressed by the rich. What does James have to say to the rich Christians? In verse 13, James says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now some of the rich Christians in James' day are the merchants who trade in cities far and wide. They plan well ahead of time so that in each city they will be successful in making money. But James says that the rich Christians have a problem. They are arrogant. They presume that their travel plans will succeed. They take for granted that things will happen according to what they want to do. Now today, whether you are in business or in a profession, an employer or an employee, we all do plan for the future. Appointments, schedules, deadlines are part and parcel of our modern life. Now there's nothing wrong with planning, but we can make the same mistake of presuming that things will always work out as we want them. We forget that God has sovereign rule over us and over our plans. So James wants all Christians to get two things right. First, we do not know what the future may bring. So we must not be presumptuous that our plan will come to pass. Now in the first part of verse 14, James says, Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Now James' sobering rebuke is well illustrated by the current pandemic. At the beginning of the year, uh, families booked their Easter holidays. Couples sent out invitations for their weddings. Students looked forward to their final year in university. And we at TGCC planned for a church retreat in August. Now, we all assumed that things would happen as planned. Then a new virus comes along and everything is cancelled. Couldn't we see this coming? Some claimed they foresaw the pandemic. But the truth is that all of us were caught on our back foot. We don't even know what will happen tomorrow. But God knows. As Christians, we need to acknowledge that God is sovereign. Nothing happens except by His will. God controls the future. We don't. So we cannot be presumptuous with our plans. The second thing we need to know is that our life is short. James continues in verse 14 saying, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now we may be careful with what we eat. We go to the gym and we want to be fit and healthy to live long into our old age. But death may come when we least expect it, as the daily news reminds us. Our lives are like a mist, here today, gone tomorrow. 
death will suddenly cut short our lives. Therefore, we ought to have a correct view of ourselves and a correct view of the future. We do not have control over how long we will live, and we do not know what the future holds. But God knows the future, and He holds our tomorrow in His hand. So James tells us that as we make plans, we ought to acknowledge God's sovereignty over our lives. And we ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now this does not mean that every time before you agree to do something with someone, you have to say the phrase, if it is the Lord's will. No, no, James means more than a verbal repetition of the phrase in our conversation. You see, what James wants is that we remember that God is sovereign. Therefore, we must submit uh, or we must have a desire to submit all our plans to God's will. So, for example, we may plan a project to make money. But it must not be out of a selfish desire. Instead, our desire in making money is to use money in alignment with God's will. So we want to ask the question, what is God's will for rich Christians? Well, we in Melbourne are included because by world standard, Australians are rich. Now, the answer to what is God's will for rich Christians is that they should not be proud and they should be generous. Not arrogant, but generous. So these two behavior should characterize rich Christians. Why should rich Christians not be proud? Because their wealth is God-given. Therefore, they should stop boasting about their ability to make money because such boastings are evil because they fail to acknowledge and be thankful for God's gift of their wealth. Why should rich Christians be generous? Because God-given wealth is to be used for the benefit of others. Now, this is a challenge for many of us in the West. We may give token amount to church and charity, but we use our wealth mostly for our own purpose, our own comfort, and our own pleasure. So James warns the rich Christians in verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, this is called the sin of omission, not doing what we know is the right and good thing to do. For rich Christians, the right and good thing to do is to share with those in need. So we are in danger of the sin of omission if we are tight-fisted. Let us not be guilty of this. Let us be generous. Let us do the good we ought to do with our God-given money. And there are three areas in which we can give our money to support. One, 
the gospel workers, both locally and overseas. We can give uh, money to support the gospel workers here and overseas. Two, support your local church. And three, support charities that care for the poor and the vulnerable. So as we are able, let us give generously and give with a cheerful heart. Now James next addresses poorer Christians who have been exploited and oppressed by the rich. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now James uses a strong language of condemnation against you rich people. They ought to mourn because of God's coming judgment on them. Now, who are these you rich people? Bible commentators agree that the rich people in this verse are the unbelieving rich. But why is James condemning the unbelievers since he has no jurisdiction over them and they are not going to read his letter? Well, there is a reason. The purpose of the condemnation is not to warn the unbelieving rich. Rather, it is to let the poor Christians in the church know what God would eventually do to the ungodly rich who have mistreated them. At the same time, it sends a strong warning to rich Christians not to misbehave like the ungodly rich. Now, how have the ungodly rich misbehaved? They are guilty of three things. First, they hoard their wealth. Verse 2 reads, Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You will have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now you may ask, what is wrong with hoarding? Isn't it a kind of saving for future tough times? Well, there is a difference between hoarding and saving, both in terms of degree and purpose. Now we save enough for the future to provide for ourselves and for others so that uh, we are not a burden to others. This is to be encouraged and it is a godly thing to save to provide for others as well. But hoarding is different. It is ungodly because hoarding accumulates more than we ever need and so deprives others of the benefits of whatever we are hoarding. Now, when we hoard money, we deprive others of the help they may need from us. Wealth is to be used in the service of others. Now, hoarding also exposes our idolatrous hearts. In our materialistic world, we have pursued possessions for their own sake. We have made wealth our idol. And finally, hoarding exposes our foolish hearts to put so much worth on material riches that do not last. Material riches fade 
and they fall in value in an economic downturn like now. Now, for all these reasons, those who hoard will face God's judgment for their idolatry and for their selfish stewardship. Now, the second guilt of the ungodly rich is indulgence. Verse 5 reads, You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Well, the day of slaughter refers to the day of God's judgment. Now, in their arrogance, the ungodly rich see themselves as the center of everything. Since they have succeeded in life by world standard, they feel entitled to pamper themselves with a lavish lifestyle. But wealth is to be used in the service of others, not in the service of self. So when the rich engage in self-indulgence, and when they seek pleasure as an end in itself, James says they are storing up their sins for the day of judgment. The third guilt of the ungodly rich is injustice. The injustice committed by the rich takes two forms. One is the failure to pay the wages of their workers. Now today we have the problem of wage theft. And during this pandemic, there are reports of employers trying to rip off workers of their job keepers' payment. Now the second form of injustice committed by the rich is exploitation through lawsuits. So verse 6 reads, You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Now the rich in James' day would use lawsuits to either cheat the innocent poor of their wages or to confiscate their property, resulting in the poor starving to death. Today, this exploitation of the poor by the rich through lawsuits continues. The rich, but the rich cannot think they will get away with their injustices. God will not let these guilty rich people go unpunished. James says that there will be a coming judgment of God on them. So the ungodly rich will have reasons to weep and wail. Their crime is not being rich because it is not wrong to be rich. Their crime is hoarding, their crime is indulgence, and their crime is injustice. Now there are some lessons here for us Christians today, both rich and poor. The oppressed poor will be vindicated in the end. God will repay the guilty rich with judgment. But it is miserable to be poor. Nobody wants to remain poor. But sometimes circumstances do not allow them to get out of this misery. And so the rich Christians have a loving responsibility to use their wealth in the service of the poor. Let the rich be willing to share with those in need and do not hoard or indulge or commit injustice for God will judge such evil. 
For all of us, we will do well to learn contentment. Now this is going to be hard because our materialistic world has primed our hearts to want more and more. So we need to retrain our hearts. How do we do that? A good place to start is to meditate on Proverbs chapter 30 verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Would you please meditate on this in the coming week? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, you have met all our needs according to the riches of your glory in Christ Jesus. Let us be thankful and content with what you have given us. For those of us whom you have given wealth, please help us to use it in the service of your kingdom. For those of us whom you have given enough for our needs, let us be ever grateful for all your good gifts. Help us during this lockdown to continue to live in sacrificial love and service for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Good morning, church. Uh, we're going to sing together now, and we're going to sing only a holy God. So please join with us.
Now, thank you for joining us today. Let us now meet on Zoom for the Catechism and Fellowship. Thank you.